And that means that we can raise money from, I think the best estimate is 230 million Americans. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's guide to U.S. real estate. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. If you're new to this show, then welcome. And if you're a returning listener, then thank you for your loyalty and commitment. As always, each week we provide a show jam-packed full of great investing advice and insider information on all things related to U.S. real estate, and this week is no different. Today's show is part two of our mini-series dedicated to giving you all the facts about understanding crowdfunding and what the future holds. So without further ado, let's get cracking it into today's show. Today's show specifically will answer what does the future hold for crowdfunding now that Title III and Regulation A plus has passed? And the gentleman in the hot seat to give us all the insider information is Matthew Sullivan. G'day, Matthew. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Reed. Good to be here. Matthew is the founder and president of CrowdVenture.com, which is an online crowdfunding platform that connects investors with both debt and equity investment opportunities. Matt is a very enthusiastic and skilled entrepreneur and has started companies operating in the UK, Europe, India, Australia, and now in the US. Matt has worked directly with Sir Richard Branson on a number of Virgin projects, and he was the director of trustee for Virgin's London Air Ambulance. But the most impressive thing about Matt is that he's also made the transition out of the UK and has successfully broken into the US market and now resides in Newport Beach, California, which is just down the road from us here in LA. So well done, mate. I love talking to other expats who have successfully broken into the US market. Not an easy feat, but before we jump into all the juicy stuff of the future of crowdfunding, can you tell the listeners something that most people might not know about you, unrelated to being just a successful entrepreneur killing it here in the United States? <laughs> Thank you. You're very kind. <laughs> well, as you can see, I'm, I'm following the sun. And uh, so the fact that I'm over here in California is absolutely nothing to do with the fact that there's 363 days a year of sunshine. <laughs> you know, I, I miss the rain, the snow, and the biting cold. But you know, hell, you've got to do what you've got to do, right? Exactly, exactly. So you're you're over here just chasing a bit of sun, um, good weather, uh, good good looking people. You know, <laughs> what, what else can you want, right? There's there were, okay. There's there's a little bit more to it than that. But my so so my my claim to fame is that I'm a, a helicopter pilot. I've been a helicopter pilot for um, 15 years or so, um, and so which is which is again in the UK, it's a little bit frustrating because uh, you can be all cheated up to go flying. But but sadly, I think there's about three days a year where you you can actually make it without being rained or snowed out or winded. Right, right, and that goes back to your time working with Sir Richard Branson and the um, what was it the the UK London Air Ambulance? Is that correct? Yeah, that was that's all part of it actually. I um I learned to fly uh, about two or three years before um, we helped Richard take over the London Air Ambulance. So it was a you know, very interesting time. I worked very closely with him on a whole range of projects. From uh, you know Virgin Brides to V2 Music to we were partners in the Virgin 
balloon trip, which was uh, where Richard was uh, hoping to go around the world in a hot air balloon. And that was, God, that was way back. It was, you know, back in the, uh, the mid-90s, I think. So a long time ago. Right, right, right. And how long have you been flying for, flying helicopters? About 15 years. Wow, incredible. Together. Yes. Incredible. So you would have thought I would have got the hang of it by now. <laughs> and you're still actively flying here in California? Not as much as I'd like, right? Uh, but that's you know that's top of my list of things to do actually. And funny enough, my office is right next to John Wayne Airport. <laughs> so all I've got to do is just look out of the window and see all these helicopters buzzing overhead. You know, just <laughs> Good stuff. just you know teasing Good. me. <laughs> you got to get out there and have a have a crack, I guess, and get uh, yes. get involved soon. So, Matthew, in part one of this series, I interviewed Adapia from Patch of Land to get the lowdown on all things crowdfunding related to the basics of crowdfunding. But today I wanted to dive into the, what the future holds for crowdfunding and how we as investors and you know developers can capitalize on this you know, new age of peer-to-peer lending. So with that being said, can you give us a more in-depth look at your background? What motivated you to, to move to the United States and to go on to start your own crowdfunding business? Um, well, I think really it's just the opportunity of getting involved with something that has a very internet-y feel about it. So over the years, if you're lucky, you get to develop a you know, sixth sense or the ability to get faint signals from the future. So ha- having been around the block for a few years, when I first heard about the Jobs Act or the Jumpstart Our Business um, Services Act, in which is you know, about three or four years ago, I actually had a company in the UK. I set up crowdventure.com in the UK. But the issue with that was that there was no real traction in the UK because the regulatory regime wasn't particularly benevolent. Um, And also, in terms of timing, people really didn't understand what crowdfunding was, whether it was a fad, um, whether it was able to get any traction. And so, you know, my circumstances really enabled me. um, I've been over here for 18 months and I came over here with the sole uh, really objective of building a crowdfunding platform, but not necessarily knowing what direction it was all going to go in. And I think I was certainly not alone in that. So if you wind the clock back two years or so, which is really when the first crowdfunding piece of legislation began to take effect, which was the um, the regulation 506C, I, I think really it was you know and very much an open book and no one really know, knew what was going to happen. So to answer your question, I don't think any of us really know what the ultimate outcome is going to be but we know that it's a good thing and we know that there are lots of very good things happening and they're plugged into the internet and that gives us scale that gives us reach and that means we can use words like you know global and scalable and um, all sorts of things like that, which um, are all very exciting. Right, right. And so we talk a little bit about on this show the Security Exchange Commission, the SEC, and we've talked a lot about from just how you raise capital as a syndicator. But the Security Exchange Commission at its heart is really to protect the public when people are against fraudulent practices in the securities market. So how have the recent changes to the Jobs Act changed the things for both investors and crowdfunding platforms like yourself? And has it sort of, it's to my, you know, from a, a layman's point of view, it seems to, from an outsider's point of view, I should say, it's really kickstarted an industry that is, you know, skyrocketing right now. And, and I don't know if we're in our infancy or we're slowly just building towards this new way of lending and borrowing. Uh, I think it's both. I think it is very much in, the, in its infancy. There was a great quote from the film um, Social 
what was that film about Facebook? Social, uh, social media or something. Or something. <laughs> social outcast. <laughs> oh, social yeah, outcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so they're sitting there deciding whether or not they're going to put advertising on Facebook when it's you know like a few weeks old. And I think Mark Zuckerberg says, look, we mustn't do that because we don't know what we've got yet. So it's a bit like that. So what we do know is that, that it's all very scalable. And we know that it's, it's ripe for disruption. And you can draw parallels with what's happening with the banking sector and what's happening with the way that you buy stocks and shares and the way that you buy travel and insurance and all sorts of other industries that over time have moved from being in a traditional um, retail environment or where transactions were done on a mano a mano basis, those types of transactions have now moved onto the web, which means that they can be carried out in a very efficient way. And that reduces costs and that provides benefits to individuals and to retail purchasers. And, and the machinery makes it life generally a lot better for the consumer. Right, 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 right. And so go ahead. What I was going to say is that capital raising is going to follow exactly the same path. So what you've done is we've honed in to real estate capital raising. But I think that the change which happened at the end of last year, in October last year, which is where Title Three of the Jobs Act came into effect, well, it actually comes into effect in May this year. But Title Three is the really good bit because that's the bit where you can raise capital um, from almost anybody in the U.S. And at the moment, the, the stages of the JOBS Act implementation meant that you started off with just accredited investors, and there's a, eight and a half million of those. Um, and then there was another piece of legislation. But really, the really interesting sort of juicy bit is Title Three, And that means that we can raise money from, I think the best estimate is 230 million Americans. So that really does throw out this whole idea of uh, democratizing, which is a very overused phrase. But the idea is that you can raise capital for an idea from pretty much anybody who likes your idea. Right, right, right. And so with Title Three, you talk about the big changes and you can start raising money from anyone you want. Before Title Three comes into effect, and so still up and I'm taking up until, when do you say, June? Is it coming to May, effect? Yeah, May, yeah, mid-May. So I can only, right now, if I went out to raise capital, I can only raise money from accredited investors right now public in terms of public solicitation is that correct yes but there's also you, you can through 506c which is not to get too much into the weeds but there's two ways of raising capital under the jobs act one is um, through accredited investors where you can put whatever you like on the website and you don't have to worry about um, these things called general solicitation rules so you can advertise wherever you can put your deal up but you're only allowed to deal with accredited investors now back in march last year Title Four, which was Regulation A plus, came into effect, and that meant that you could raise more money from non-accredited investors. And there are a few more uh, hoops that you have to jump through. It's a little bit more expensive to set up. So Regulation A plus came into effect, and that's almost a mini IPO. So you go through similar steps that you would if you were going to take your company public, but it's not as expensive and it's not as in-depth in terms of the things you need to do. So you can raise anywhere between 20 and 50 million, depending on you know, what, what type of structure you want to use. But that's, that still doesn't really give you the, the ability to, to mass market that Title III does. But um, Regulation A+, plus is again, is very interesting. There have been 70, I think at the last count, uh, there have been 70 companies that have filed 
this Form 1A of the SEC, and that gives us an indication of how much activity there is in Regulation A+. Um, and there were a couple of companies uh, that raised money very in a very high-profile way in the last few weeks. One was an online radio station which raised $25 million. It's called Atrax. And, and another was a really interesting uh, car manufacturing company called uh, Elio Motors that raised $17 million. Um, so you can see, you know, money is coming in thick and fast. And um, these types of new regulatory structures, you know, enable that to happen. And if you add the, the fact that you've got this internet layer, which adds um, efficiency and scalability, then, you know, that's what, that will, that's what makes it quite exciting for right, us. Right, right. And what is the, you know, the fundamental difference between Regulation A plus and Regulation D? Now, we talked a little bit about on the show Regulation D, the 506, the rules, 5064, 5065, so 504, 505, and 506 in Regulation yes. D. What, how, does that separate, how is that different from the Regulation A+. Plus? Uh, well, the main difference is the number of unaccredited. I mean, there are lots of differences. And I'm sure that all the attorneys that are listening to this are sort of going to be you know, <laughs> throwing things at their computers. But the, I think for us, the main difference is the amount of money that you can raise from non-accredited investors. And that's a really interesting bit because under Regulation D, it's primarily targeted at accredited investors. So with Regulation 506C, you're not allowed to have any accredited investors. But with Regulation 506B, you can have up to 35. But there's all sorts of hoops you have to jump through there. For example, you have to get your um, offering has to be audited so it's a bit of a, um, a, a mix between a, a, you know, a public offering and a private placement. So you can see how the, how the law um, you know, grows. It, it moves from being you know, fish to fowl and changes. But Regulation A plus is a much cleaner version of uh, it. It really allows you to go out there and raise large amounts of money from large numbers of non-accredited investors. And obviously, you have to protect their interests and you have to look carefully at the types of people you're bringing on. But that, that was a really interesting leap forward. And Title III is another seismic leap forward um, over and above that. Right. And then I've heard in the sort of murmurings that the Regulation A plus is quite expensive to apply for. Is, is that What are the sort of legal costs involved with Regulation A plus well, compared to Regulation D? Yeah, well, there's, there's, it's funny actually because I think there's been a couple of real estate companies fundraise have been very successful fundrise have been very successful and there was another company um that um thankfully doesn't immediately spring to mind but i think they they, <laughs> they spent rather a lot on legal fees and so if you did the maths i think they spent something like four hundred and seventy thousand dollars in legal fees and raised four hundred and ninety thousand dollars so there was about you know twenty thousand dollars left <laughs> so, so that's, that's that's how expensive it is in the beginning but I think the, the best estimate is it's it's around sort of you know seventy seventy five thousand dollars, and th and that's that's not from you know that that's from publicly available websites. So and it's the real issue is it takes about six months to set up. So it's not overly it's not prohibitively expensive um, if you are focused and, and you know exactly what you want to do. Right. But you can also, you, people are still, when you're raising capital, people have still got that Regulation D up their sleeve that they can go and, we've talked about on the show, you know, do a private placement memorandum, make sure that they you know, keep it with, to, with on all the rules yes. uh, outlined in Regulation D 
uh, you know, up to 35 investors, unaccredited investors, and you know, unlimited accredited investors. But with the solicitation, and is that where the changes occur? And does that apply to Regulation D as well, or just Regulation A plus? Well, you can generally solicit. So the whole thing about general solicitation is that you really want to be able to do the general solicitation thing because that means that you can advertise your offering. So before the Jobs Act, you have 506B, and B as in before. <laughs> Someone else, I think it, was, um, it, it wasn't me that came up with that, but it, it does work. And um, <laughs> so you're not, allowed to, you're not allowed to generally solicit. So you're only able to, to talk about your private placement offering to people with whom you have an existing substantive relationship. And again, the, def- the definition of that is a little bit great, but you use common sense. And if you already have an existing relationship, then you can talk to them about your 506B offering. 506C is completely different where you can actually go out there and you can stand at the top of the tallest building with your megaphone and tell everyone about what you're doing. The difference there is that you can only take money off them if you can prove that they're an accredited investor. So that's And that's a bit of a tricky thing. So from a crowdfunding platform's perspective, it's a bit of a drag on sales. Because if somebody wants to invest, you say, are you accredited? And they go, yes. And they tick the I'm accredited box. But then we say, okay, you've got to prove it. So we want to see your tax returns or we want to see some other proof. And that, that tends to slow things down because, you know, most accredited investors don't want to let you anywhere near their tax returns. So we're able to accept letters from CPAs or from attorneys. But again, so that's why, you know, Reg 5... 506C hasn't really taken off as widely as it, as, as it was expected when it was um, put into effect back in September 13. And um, I think the SEC came out with some uh, indications recently that if you look at the overall private placement market, and the estimate is that it's around $2.8 trillion, $71 billion of that was through 506C placements uh, last year. So it's quite a, quite a, you know, very, I wouldn't say statistically insignificant, but it's, you know, it's a lot less than was expected. Right, right, right. And just to just to wrap it all up here in terms of the, the backgrounds of uh, crowdfunding, you've got your Regulation D, which is what we've talked extensively about on the show. You can you can go through all the rigmarole of making sure they're accredited or investors can self-accredit. You can have a maximum of 35, up to 35 non-accredited investors. And then you have the Regulation A+, which is now opening up this whole slew yes. of opportunities on the internet. And, and as you're saying, you know, we can now stand at the top of a, a building with a megaphone yes. and tell them exactly what we're doing. So now that we're caught up on all the background <laughs> of crowdfunding, <laughs> I and want all your to, listeners have left, by the way. So. <laughs> yeah. No, a lot of people are interested because then no, no one knows where to tread. It, you know, it's quickly, it's so quickly changing the laws and um, and regulations that, or can I not solicit, or can I solicit, or where is it, or can't I? Well, I, I've known you for two months, and yeah. you know, I've gone for one coffee. As you said, it's all very, very great. So I think the SEC is catching up to that and understanding we need to make it a little bit more um, transparent in terms of what you can and can't do. And, and given the peer-to-peer relationship that we now live in, the age that we live in, you know, I can connect with an Uber driver yes. instantly. I can now connect with an investor yes. instantly, you know, without having any prior existing relationship to. So, Matthew, do you want to walk us through what crowd or how crowdventure.com differs from other crowdfunding platforms out, out there and what sets you apart? It's not so much what we're doing now as opposed to what we're going to do. So the reason I launched into the real estate market was because that was the market where there was more 
activity and momentum than the equity crowdfunding markets. So the thing with equity crowdfunding, where you're trying to raise money for small companies that have no track record, it's a very difficult sell. It's much easier to build a business around uh, an investment product that people understand. In other words, real estate. So that gave us, so we, we built a, a, a real estate crowdfunding platform uh, over the last year. And that gave us a great opportunity to meet people within the sector, to understand a lot more from a first person's perspective what's happening with the regulatory changes and to get some uh, some momentum in the platform and, and to build some strong partnerships with our real estate partners uh, equipoise who were up in uh, san jose but then you know since we started this regulation a plus came into effect and also title three will come into effect so the whole regulatory landscape has, has changed so what we're going to do which is really where i think the the overall market is going is, is we're going to use a combination of Regulation D and Title uh, III and Title IV and all of these different regulatory frameworks. And we want to take advantage of Title III. We will become, uh, we're going to go through the process and become a regulated crowdfunding platform. And, and really what we want to be able to do is offer investors who range from small non-accredited investors right up to sort of ultra high net worth individuals, a range of investment products, which encompasses equity investments for startup companies, all the way through to large scale real estate projects that are either equity or debt or mezzanine or a combination, uh, which is a really big undertaking. But we're doing that through close collaboration with a number of different partners. So the expertise that we bring is the technical infrastructure, and we have a very close uh, working relationship with our attorneys, we'll probably end up bringing them in-house. So we have a strong you know, legal and regulatory base. And what we'll then do is we'll continue to partner with other entities, whether they be banks or finance houses or real estate companies, to give them uh, access to our platform so that we can provide investment opportunities to the wider population. And that's not just to the US, but but anywhere in the world. Uh, and, and, you know, I have no idea when that's going to, you know, when that becomes, it's going to become a reality very soon. But when does the efficiency actually kick in? When do people naturally go to the web rather than going somewhere else? Who knows? Is it next year? Is it five years? You know, it's going to happen. Uh, and we want to make sure that we're there, you know, you know um, not on the bleeding edge, but, you know, we want to be as close to the cutting edge as possible. Got it, got it. And then, so with your, you talk a little bit about how you want to partner with different, you know, people, both banks and providers of real estate. Do, are you seeing that there's a lot of money out in the market wanting to place the place their capital in certain projects, or are you seeing that there's a lot of projects on the market and not as much capital because it's new and online crowdfunding, people are going to get used to it. And as you said, it might, it might happen next year or might happen in five years' time. Well, I think what crowdfunding, in our experience, crowdfunding for real estate over the time that I've been involved, it has, it's, it's a very useful exercise for generating new relationships and creating lead flow. And I think if you look at Patch of Land, you've done an absolutely brilliant job. They announced, I don't know, a few days ago that they've, signed a deal with a, uh, an East Coast finance company. And I think they've been, uh, they're, they're partnering to the tune of you know, $250 million. And that's over and above. And I think if you listen to uh, or read Jason Fritton's piece, 95% of their investor base to date, according to Jason, has come from the crowd. So you can see how it's, you know, what crowdfunding does is it gives you 
this platform a shop window so you can actually provide information in a very transparent, clear and defined way as to the types of deals that you're offering. So if you're out there looking for deals, it's very easy to say, well, you know, these types of deals meet our requirements. Why don't we get on the phone to these guys? So in the initial stages, I think it works as a, uh, an incredibly efficient lead generation mechanism. But I think, I think a lot of the deals are actually closed using traditional uh, methods. In other words, you, know, you phone a guy up, you send him an email, mm-hmm. you talk yep. to him, you build a relationship that way. But then I think over time, subsequent deals will be done through the portals or through the um, web mechanisms. And then there will come a time when if you're sitting on cash, there will be trusted platforms that you will automatically go to. Right, right. And I think you and I talk a little bit offline and, and what I've heard in the marketplace a little bit from other professionals in the industry is that, you know, crowdfunding and in, in, online um platforms it's a really intensive marketing process right you know because building that pla- building that trust with someone to just give you know give you their money takes a lot of time and and companies like yourself uh crowd venture patcher land crowd fundrise they're all out there actively trying to build those relationships so as you're saying that there maybe the deals are getting done a little bit offline but they could advertise it as a, as a shop front uh window to say look at what i can do with all the draw all the different projects we have currently being funded through our, our, our portal is that sort of have i got that correct yeah i think so i mean i mean i can only speak for what our experience is but i mean what the, the experience that we're finding is that people are attracted to the platform but we have to hold their hand to actually get right. them to commit um, and, and i think you know i'm my assumption is that that's probably human nature. So it's probably shared with some of the other platforms. So it's not an automatic process where you have this zero touch with people and everything is done through the web. And I think subsequently what you can do is you can get people when they make their second or their third investment, they've got that confidence and they're happy to go online and just transact. So I think we're yeah, I think you know it, it definitely works, but it's just because we're in the early stages it's we're in that transition phase from people um, who were used to dealing with things in a very analog way. But this is something that's shared with every other process that's moved from, uh, you know, the, the analog world into the digital world. Yes. Yes. And, and it obviously will have its teething problems like anything, um, but raising capital, even from you know, my experience, even I'm not a crowd, I don't have a crowdfunding platform. It's interesting that you said that you still got to walk the investors through, you know, take their hand. So how do you then advertise yourself to be sort of encumbersome of the investors out there who want to get involved in real estate, but then also be attractive enough to get the big guys, you know, the sophisticated investors who don't need as much handholding to get them to invest on your platform? But I think really that's, a, um, again, it's a combination of existing relationships um, and just getting them to understand that there is a new piece of technology that is useful to them because of the efficiencies it gives them. So, so in other words, you've got an existing client base, so you can market deals to that client base because the way that we work is within, you know, we're allowed to do that through the general solicitation rules. So we can be more efficient in the way that we market deals to investor groups so because they already know of us or they know of our, our partners, you know, they've got that trust. So, so that's um, uh, been very useful in, in you know, getting us to be able to you know, get some early traction. 
Got it, got it. And and you know, one of my follow up questions to that is that when a lot of this crowdfunding is on the debt side, and I know CrowdVenture does a little bit of equity. So how do you structure that with your investors? Is it, is it purely based on the relationships that you've developed? You understand that the risk tolerances that your investors want to be involved in either the debt or the equity side, then you can place them where you want, or you can offer them certain sides of the capital stack? It really comes down to the experience that we have on the real estate team, which is, so that's the primary driver. So um, in other words, do we feel that we are confident enough in putting up uh, mezzanine or or equity style deals? And have we done these before? And uh, is there confidence that these are all high quality deals? So before we even consider whether or not an investor would want it. So our, our partners have been doing this for 30 something years. So these, these are deals that they know they and they have a network of people that they've worked with and you know successfully over a number of years. So those types of transactions are transactions that are known to them. So that that gives us the initial foundation and the confidence to be able to think about how we can offer that to a, a wider investing community. And then really it's just about explaining the difference between a you know a first position mortgage debt and you know a, a piece of equity in a property so these are the risks and you know this is what could happen and um but ultimately we leave it up to the investors to you know choose themselves what they want to do right interesting and i know that crowdfunding this is sort of wrapping up my my last set of questions is you know it has been a little bit of cart before the horse sometimes in the teething scenario where someone will come to you and say look we'll here's a deal and you're like, great, we'll, we'll fund this deal. But then it comes to push comes to shove and the, the money hasn't not necessarily been readily available. Are you finding that to be less of an issue as you know, it starts to evolve? Yes, and I think you, you're always going to get that in uh, mm. because you've got to prime the pump somehow. And um, so there's a, there's a little bit of brinkmanship. Um, got it, got it. Okay. With, and with that being said, what's been the biggest learning experience to date that has sort of shaped your success here in the US market? Oh, where do I begin? <laughs> Listen, it's the whole thing has been this most incredible journey of discovery. Um, but the great thing is that everything is moving at the same time. So, it's, you know, the legislation, the regulation is not static. Crowdfunding is not static. So, you know, I don't feel like I'm at too much of a disadvantage because it's, it's like everybody is, you know, moving with the ebb and flow of the tide. Um, but you know, it's it's been an incredible learning experience. It's ongoing, and you know, the, you know, the, the, there's a lot to learn. But there's also um, there's a lot of change that's happening. So there's a there's a lot of stuff that no one knows yet. So you know, I don't think anybody really can say what crowdfunding or capital raising is going to look like in three years or five years time. Um, and it's not like that old adage where you know the next uh, the next Amazon or the next Facebook. It's probably sitting in someone's garage, you know, you know, right now, and they just don't know what they've got yet. Right, interesting. And I guess that brings me to my next question: is looking forward, what are you doing to build on the business? And maybe you've already answered that. It, it just the the future is so unknown right now that we're in that infancy. That you know, what are you doing to build on your business and grow as uh, your as a real estate entrepreneur here in the United States? It's to do with really uh, the, the, the critical thing for us is Title Three. So that's, that's the thing that is really, really exciting. So how do we expand our product sets so we deal with not just real estate? How do we bring on board equity raises or, or equity investing for startup companies? How do we hold their hand through the process, find the companies that are really good, you know, the potential unicorns, 
bring in other services so that we work with them from concept to seed to series A to series B to IPO. You know, so that's so how do we find these companies? How do we raise capital using Title III? How do we engage with a you know a US wide population of potential investors? Um, so the, the whole game for us has been is thrown wide open because of Title III. We've cut our teeth on um, real estate crowdfunding. So, you know, we've got the initial momentum there and it's just really building and growing. And we want CrowdVenture to be synonymous with a portal that is effective, sorry, that is efficient, easy to use, but gives investors a wide range of opportunities from solid, reliable, conservative real estate debt through to sort of super racy tech startup investment. Wow, that's in- that, that that's an exciting, exciting time. But Matt, honestly, that that was an incredible, incredible future ahead for CrowdVenture.com. And I know that with you know with all your ex- experience here in the United States raising money for your crowdfunding space, and that the fact that you've successfully broken into the United States, I know you're primed to give me a top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? God, yes. Okay, top five. So the most successful habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Um, it's focus. So in other words, you know, it's great. It's so easy to be distracted by all these amazing things that are happening. But you know, just focus on one project and get it completed and get it launched and then build on that. So you know, I think years ago I would do 100 different things at once and probably fail in every single one of them. Um, but you try and do it sequentially and build and, you know, build the base, get the knowledge, get the understanding, and then and then grow the business um, vertically rather than trying to do a million things at once. That's that's a, that's, that's great advice. Yeah, I know. I'm. Uh, we're all a little bit guilty of the shiny object yes. syndrome. Oh, what's that over? What's that over there? Let's go do that and and not focus on what we've got at hand. How hard can it be? Um, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, Matthew, I know that we being an online crowdfunding platform. You'd have a lot of you know influential tools that you use in your business. Which one's the most influential and why? Well, the critical thing is to understand how social media works. And I'm not even going to begin. All I can tell you is to say that it's really complicated. Um, and it, but at the same time, it's actually quite simple. Um, so my advice is don't. It's that social media is the best thing to happen to to, to us. Um, it, it is an incredibly powerful tool, but there is a science behind it, and it and it is there's a psychology and there's it's a completely different way of people relating, and there are some really smart people out there who actually really get this. So you should go and talk to those people if you're building an online business and understand what it means to build an online business. Because if you think that you can take your normal day to day analog business skills and somehow adapt them into a, an online environment, you'll probably end up spending a lot more money than you should have done. And, and so, my, you know, my advice is it, it's, it's a massive opportunity. It does work, um, but there are things you need to do. So to get someone in who really knows how social media and how the digital economy works. Yep. 
I, I completely agree. And I think it's it goes back to leveraging different platforms like this podcast. I'm leveraging iTunes and SoundCloud and all these other massive platforms that I can exactly. uh, get, get my word out there. You're building a platform for investors to leverage other people's opportunities in terms of investment, but then you're also helping developers get their deals off the ground easier and quicker because they can come to you and leverage all the investors that you have. So it sort of goes back to the whole reason why crowdfunding is booming in, in, in the day and age that we live in is this sort of peer-to-peer relationship that we have with our, with the internet and, and social media and people around the globe. You know, everything's at our fingertips in, in one sort of one click. Yeah, but also you don't actually want to transact any other way. I don't exactly. want to go back to filling in forms and having <laughs> to meet people for coffee. I mean, I like that every now and then. But, you know, if I want to do something, I want to do it online, you know, in my own time, whether that's buying shares or, you know, doing my banking or whatever, you know, so... So, so yeah, I mean that's um, that's why it's gonna that's why this this all works. Fantastic. And Matthew, we've probably touched on a little bit, but what's the most exciting project you're working on right now for the platform? I think it's the platform itself. Mm-hmm. It's really just understanding that we've built a foundation that it really is now just as exciting as it was when when we started doing the first drawings, you know, before you know, eighteen months ago, whatever. Um, and but but it's it's the platform and where can we take the platform and the whole crowdfunding environment is incredibly collaborative so people are very willing to work with each other it's a real it does feel like the internet did you know 15 plus years ago when you know there were people that had this amazing vision and there are other people that said that it was never going to catch on but you know so it's that sort of stage so people are willing to work with each other um and so that's that's a that's a wonderful thing. It's it's very very exciting. I'm excited to be a borrower on the <laughs> on the on the, the the borrowing side, and and maybe one day. But I, I think uh, I'll leave it up to the experts who are who are really good at IT and uh, creating a platform. But Matthew, who's the most influential person in your career to date? I think probably dear Mr. Branson actually, which sounds a bit cliche, <laughs> but the things I did work quite closely with him and. You know, the great thing about him is it's just this sort of can-do attitude. So it's not, you know, there's nothing, nothing is impossible. But you get, you meet people that go, dang, we can do this. It's, you know, everything's possible. But you know that they're never going to be the people to do it. Um, but having, you know, sat around a table and worked with him and worked with his team, it's just that whole creativity. And I think that's the thing. It's the, you know, people that are creative, people that build things, that... That, that lead and, and don't sleep at night and wake up in a cold sweat at four o'clock every morning <laughs> thinking, you know, and, and settle trades in their sleep and all that sort of stuff. I mean, so, but influential in the sense that he's the enthusiasm that he has and the, um, just that sort of joie de vivre, which, which is, is very infectious. Got it. Got it. And who, what was the biggest bit of advice that you took away from Sir Richard? <laughs> <laughs> Um, if there was any advice bestowed upon you, always hire people that are better than you. Got it. I love that. I I love. That. I don't know. Who, I don't know. If it was he who quoted that? But no, he wasn't. Uh, no, I don't. No, I think he has. Um, but it's just that general feeling that there are some of the people that he used to have as his uh, officers and uh, you know just generals, as it were, that were probably the smartest and at the same time the scariest people on earth. You know, they they were hyper intelligent very experienced and uh, they just knew what they were doing um, and just you know so if I had a team like that I think you know we'd conquer the world 
Yeah, I'd I, I love that. I don't know where the quote came from, but I always love the quote is employ people that know what they're doing and then step back and let them do their work. Yes, that's <laughs> you know, the truth. So, yeah, exactly. You know, don't micromanage everything. Don't work in your business, work on your business. Yes. So I always, I always love that. And Matthew, finally, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? Well, we're at uh, crowdventure.com. Um, there's all sorts of contact information there. Um, so send us a mail or give me a call. It'd be great to speak to you or hear from you. And, um, you know, we'd love to hear from anyone that wants, that has any ideas. We love to collaborate. Um, so, you know, Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Matthew, I know the crowdfunding is on its massive growth over the coming years with all the associated benefits that just simplifies lending and investing for US projects and essentially projects around the world. You're certainly a very knowledgeable guy on the whole space and you gave the listeners some incredible information on the whole process and really demystified it all. So thanks, mate, for dropping by and chatting with us. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Fabulous, Reed. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, mate, for dropping by and chatting with us. We'll have a great rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Well, there you have it. A crash course on how crowdfunding works here in the United States and even better coming from a fellow expat who's successfully broken into the US market and has started his own company. Truly, truly inspiring stuff. Now, if you're an investor out there just eager to learn more about the crowdfunding space, you've got to go out and check out crowdventures.com's website for all the informational videos on both the investing and borrowing side. Or drop the CrowdVenture team an email to find out more. Matthew is a very, very approachable bloke. Yes, you can you can hear just from his voice on there. He came on and provided such great information. So, so good stuff. Now, make sure you check out all the show notes for a summary of today's conversation with Matt and any links I mentioned on today's show. A summary will always go up on my website at rsmpropertygroup.com. Just remember to click on the podcast tab. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in and continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge. If you do like this show and you want to give back just a little because you're feeling in a generous spirit today, jump on iTunes, subscribe, and give the show a five-star review. It really does help us increase the reach across the globe. We'll do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. Thank you.